American United Federal Credit Union can often help when others won't. They can often approve loans even if you've had trouble being approved in the past. Qualifying for membership is easy. Learn more at amucu.org. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. Today with my co-host, Josh Soloway, we are going to be talking to Mark Ilanowitz. I believe in, in, in free-flowing thought. I believe in creating opportunity. I don't, when I wake up, like I said, on most entrepreneurs, I, I don't wake up for what somebody's going to tell me to do. I wake up for and decide what I want to accomplish that day. This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview pro athletes, world-class musicians, CEOs, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. Before we get rolling, we want to invite you to get involved in the charity our founders helped start called Child Rescue. We work to combat child sex trafficking in the U.S. and globally. The top project you could help with now is in Cusco, Peru. There are 20 girls that the local government rescued but didn't have anywhere to keep them safe, so they put them in jail. The government has said that they're willing to give custody of these kids to the aftercare facility we're helping to expand now once we raise enough money and build an extra building there. To learn more, please click on the Child Rescue tab on our website, which is iCollective.co. So with that out of the way, let's get to the interview. Can you... That, that's great. You know, can you... Because I think, uh, you know, it sounds like, like you're in a segment, let's call it maybe the, you're really targeting, let's say, even the upper upper uh, sort of tier of the reggae plus market in, in that instance, right? Um, what, as, as companies kind of look at themselves, and remember, I mean, a lot of these great businesses are built by, most great businesses are built by guys who are just great at building their business, entrepreneurs that are you know, really good at what they do. Um, and and building their business, running their business, but not you know finance guys, right? And so, what do they need? What are the sort of key ingredients to even get through the gate to you know uh, get the kinds of sort of uh, upper end, higher end uh, of the reggae plus market services or banking services? What what are the key sort of price of entry things? And what kind of revenue numbers do they need to see? And maybe that you need to see, or maybe that trades off against something else. But um, are there any sort of hard data points that people should say, nope, if they don't hit those, they just shouldn't be looking at a Reg A plus. Maybe they're Reg C, yeah. Maybe they're maybe they're need to go back to focusing on something else. Well, I I think each deal is going to be have its own individual merits. But the 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 first thing that we look at when an issuer comes in, and we meet with management, and we talk to management, and we just look to see if they're their statements are even realistic. Um, I can't tell you how many companies come through and they say, just give me $10 million and I promise I'll do $200 million next year. No business goes from zero to 200 in a year. It just doesn't happen. So I think they, the, the entrepreneur has to look in the mirror and be realistic and not come in. We've seen hundreds and hundreds of companies a year that come through that submit business plans or come on roadshows 
or come through um, various types of, uh, of uh, presentations. So an issuer needs to be clear uh, of what their goals are. And when a company comes to us, they can be a startup, they can be pre-revenue, but they need to have a realistic game plan that the capital that we're providing will grow them to the next level uh, and take that product. Maybe they've been, it's in development. They now have contracts and they're ready to start marketing and manufacturing. Um, that's something that we're open to. If the company uh, has uh, a certain business line, it's been doing well, it's been growing, and they've just received a large order and they need inventory financing, that's something we're open to. So it's not you, – you don't have to be the next Twitter. You don't have to be the next Coca-Cola. We get a lot of energy drinks that come to us. You just have to have a realistic view. If you're a company that's looking for money to make an acquisition, that's not the type of company that we're looking at. We get a lot of management teams that have this great idea of doing an oil and gas roll-up. Just give me this money, and I promise I'll go buy all these companies. So you take all the risk, you give me the money, but you're going to take 80 or 90% ownership. In the private equity world, it goes the other way. Those who put forth the money get the ownership, and the management team gets the carry. So I think that's important, that entrepreneurs need to recognize that on those type of opportunities, the ones that put up the money are the ones that take the risk, the ones that should get the reward. If management doesn't have skin in the game, and that's the, the final important aspect, Management needs to have skin in the game. Most management team members are going to come to us and say that they have all this time and sweat equity, which is important, and it's something we recognize. But if there's no other skin and there's no other compelling reason, then it's some, something to keep that entrepreneur there involved more than just the passion. Because if an issuer re receives money, and they decide, well, this just, just isn't working out, and they just walk away. It's easy to walk away when you don't have your own skin in the game. So we'd like to see some type of involvement, uh, even if it's not their money, but maybe their friend's money or family money, something that they will take responsibility for. And I think that's really key. That's, that's great. That's, that's helpful. You know, it leads me to the question, for those, for those issuers who are earlier, they're not quite ready to at this level that we're talking about, um, when you when you're maybe giving people advice or of what they should do to get ready to come back to you guys, so somebody who maybe they need to make the money to get to the point where they can put more skin in the game for this type of an expansion, what what kind of an exemption or where would you maybe point them for that first couple million bucks of startup money? What would you what would be your thought? Well, that's yeah, that's always the hardest thing. So there's different levels. So the first thing that everybody does when they start a business is they look to use their own money. Now, a lot of these entrepreneurs, we understand you don't have money today. You're, you, you, know, you're, you might be young and you're just coming up with this great, amazing idea and, you, and you, you know, you've already mortgaged out your credit cards and you, you really don't. Now, when I started my company, I took out 10 credit cards and maxed them each out to $10,000 and that's how I got started. <laughs> but that's an entrepreneurial risk that I took and I certainly wouldn't advise that to everybody. But you, know, you got to do what you have to do when you start your business. So the first round typically is, is pass the hat your friends and family, and you go around and, and you try to get capital from people that you know. Uh, as, as time goes on, you expand that out a little bit. Um, there are you know, certain VCs, earlier stage investors, but those come with a lot of onerous terms and terms that um, impress and write that a lot of issuers or entrepreneurs really just don't understand. So you got to be very careful. Um, 
But then what you should look for, and, and you have this kind of intermediary phase, which is Reg CF, which is great, where you can now go out and raise with unaudited financials up to $500,000. You can either do that or you can start the private placement route. And what I would recommend is maybe go the private placement route to get a little bit further, raise some money from, from the investment community or your friends and family using the private placement nature. And you can use things like convertible notes and other types of instruments and then go out to that community, get your business up a little bit further, and then come back to an investment bank who can help you get to the next level. But most investment banks, it's not that we don't want to help you. It's just the likelihood of success isn't going to be very high when you still have an unproven and early stage investment. And, and what about- Is there anything- Go ahead, Josh. Uh, oh, sorry, just quickly, you know, just on that, on that line, is there anything that you would say to people, look, when you come, if you're gonna go away and, and you know, do some other things, and get to the point where we wanna help you, obviously, um, to an entrepreneur, entrepreneur, I mean, is there anything you should really avoid doing, obviously outside of fraud, <laughs> but, you know, is there anything that they should really be thinking about? Like you said, when you're looking at VCs or this or that option, is there anything that uh, that they might mistakenly do or unintentionally not do that might unintentionally knock them out of the box for you know a, a, a solid reggae plus raise later? Yeah, there's two things: taking money from the wrong group and taking money in, in a structure that you don't understand. And when we start off by talking about taking money from the wrong group. There are a lot of lenders out there that um, will make investments in small investments, 25s, 50s, 100s. And these are sheep, there are wolves in sheep clothing. They look like sophisticated and, and uh, professional and successful investors, but they're uh, investors that are known as bad actors in our industry. And there, there are unfortunately a lot of them with the with the market the way it is for small issuers uh, and void. These guys have come into it and they do questionable type financings. They do financings um, where they exchange company debt for stock, or they they lend money at at terms that investors don't under or the issuers don't understand. That if there's a default, then suddenly the the uh, the terms become owners and that they uh, are highly dilutive. So I would advise anybody, have an advisor who understands, have a lawyer review the documents. And on the VC world, understand what you're getting into, understand what commitments you're making and what, uh, what, uh, what responsibility comes with taking that capital and what uh, provisions have to be put forth and what you need to make sure that the prefs that you're agreeing to are reasonable, that if you are successful, that you don't lose your company, or if you're not successful and you're making recommendations or you're making um, projections that you can't achieve and things are tied into that. So be very realistic with, tell me not the dream, don't give me this hockey stick curve, come up with the reasonable, and defensible projection because those VCs, they're pros too. And if you go in, you're gonna have one shot. Make sure you, you're realistic. And then if you commit to something, make sure you can actually succeed. Because that's the other thing. If you, if you sign on to some of these types of instruments, 
that are tied into your performance and those performance metrics are outside of your uh, control, you can end up losing your business. Yeah, you're so right there. I had a client a couple of years ago in an oil and gas company with insanely low production costs. I mean, insanely low. And, and um, you know, Basically, a, a you know basically sales of all of their production locked in at above market rates with a major you know major oil and gas company, but they had some, some difficult things and they had you know to deal with to, they couldn't get the financing for, uh, and they took on a, a, one of those exactly one of those kinds of players, and effectively that player strangled them out of existence. They they mandated them they put on these insane terms and made it hard for them to hit their their coupon, you know, their payments uh, terms. And then they use that to then force all income, all revenue coming into the company to go into a lot box that they could, the lender controlled and they couldn't pay any of their bills. And of course they went out of business. I mean, well, basically they got taken over. Uh, it was just unbelievable to watch. And they were sitting on just a mountain of opportunity, which is where all their optimism came from. So you really have to be realistic about the business you have today. You know, that goes back to Reggae Plus, too. You don't have those conditions, but just be realistic. The one thing that I, I just want to stress to, to all, all entrepreneurs, exceed expectations. Don't meet them and don't fall below them. Don't tell me you're going to do 100 million and come in at 20. Tell me you're going to do 20 and do 30. That's what the street wants to hear. They buy on rumor, they sell on news. They buy success, not failure. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, another another question for you. You know, there's a lot for real estate investments. There's a lot of 506C activity that's happened out there. Do you see a regulation A plus opportunity specifically with with you know this maybe going to OTC or anything like this for the real estate players? For real estate? Yeah. So real estate's one of the areas that um, is is something that we are uh, seeing a lot of success in. Uh, I don't actually do anything in the real estate area. That's not something I know, but there are a lot of successful sites out there that have been um, highly effective in marketing. Um, they're not doing Reg A pluses deals. They're doing 506C private placement deals. So those are just something that we see a lot of success in uh, recently in the marketplace where these investors are uh, now able to get into almost like uh, an SPV like we were doing with D-Wave where they're able to participate. But I haven't seen anything really on the reggae side yet. Yeah, do you see it? Do you th do you think in the future there'll be uh, any sort of a ramp towards small REITs or anything like that or not so much? I do. I think actually um, I've had a few people talk to me about it. We've been looking at it. Um, I think actually we might over the next uh, year take one or two of them on because of the yield they're able to offer um, and the fixed income that they're able to, or the dividend income they're able to to provide. I think that's something that, that could be interesting. Uh, REITs themselves have, you know, other conditions that need to be met in terms of distribution of uh, uh, and, and the rules that go around it. But I think it's a new, more inexpensive way to create product um, that normally was wouldn't be available to these investors. Sure. Um, you know, isn't that there's an advantage to that, right? Because it's inherently local real estate, so you don't have so much of the blue sky issues. I mean, to the extent that you're not raising money from investors outside of your state or outside of a few states, it seems like a few of these platforms are are, are particularly going towards real estate largely because there's this like local component to it, right? So you can kind of 
you don't necessarily need to, to have as big an offering or as widely spread an offering, right? Because if you're trying to market, you know, a development in Houston, Texas to somebody in, you know, Boston, it's just, like you said, the picture isn't necessarily there. But it's, is, that, is that a factor in your view? Uh, say that again, Denise. I, 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 well, is that a factor? I mean, if you see, if you do just to sort of carry Jess's question out in terms of real estate, um, because of so much real estate investing is really done pretty much locally. I mean, obviously, REITs are a different story, but uh, but in this instance, it seems like there are different portals popping up to focus within certain states. Yeah, I um, see that. Space. I see that, but I'm also still seeing things on a national, more brand. So where where investors are flocking to these sites, not necessarily because they want to have something in the local area that, that they have to worry about managing. They're getting involved in these professional management companies that are buying opportunity that might not like for instance new york is a very expensive real estate area but there are other parts of the country that i would be interested in investing in that i have no knowledge for so by utilizing mm -hmm. one of the sites i think it's a great thing that i can now go in um do an analysis see if it's something i'm interested in and and maybe this particular site had access to a shopping center in you know texas that i would have never been able to find and now i can at least get a participation to get the yield interesting yeah no kidding well, Mark, um, you're not just a banker. You're an entrepreneur yourself. You know, our our listeners love hearing stories. They tell us about from the humble beginnings up to where people are at. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, some of the uh, less glamorous businesses you had early on and maybe some of the principles that you feel like got you to where you're at? Sure. Um, so, I, yeah, I've always been an entrepreneur. Um, I'm one of those guys that I wake up in the morning and if somebody gives me lemons i don't look at it just uh as life has handed me lemons i look at it is what can i make you know lemonade lemon crush lemon pops that glass is not half empty it's half full and i say keep pouring i mean that's all entrepreneurs i think have that drive and when i was 13 um or actually a little bit earlier than that you know my parents bought me a bike and i wanted a different bike and i wanted the better bike that other kids had and they said great go earn it so i would shovel walks uh, snow and uh, mow lawns and and do what I needed to do to to be successful. And then when I was 13, I started my first, I guess you want to call it real business. It was called Delectable Temptations, and we were a uh, chocolate company that I did at my parents' kitchen table, and we would make chocolate lollipops, and we ended up catering weddings and bar mitzvahs and the prom, and that was a lot of fun. And then when I got to high school, I started something. Um, called MBD Window Works. Our customers see you through us. Let us clear the view for you was our motto. <laughs> and we would go around uh, through the malls and we would <laughs> insides of the, the storefronts, the windows inside the mall. I think we probably got a lot of our business because we were a couple of young kids that were coming knocking on the door and the managers liked us. But we ended up doing it in the local malls and we had a lot of fun with it until I went to college. And while I was in college, I, uh, I answered the ad one day for, to be a stockbroker, and I went out, and I ended up working part-time, and I became a, a top producer at the firm. And when I graduated, I uh, ended up becoming a branch manager of a small New York Stock Exchange member firm, and I ended up getting active in the, uh, uh, in, in the capital markets. And it sh showed me, you know, I really became fascinated by it. Uh, because I saw you know, these companies that could get financing and really grow. I wasn't one that was looking at it, you know, buy low, sell high in the market. I was looking at it from the entrepreneurial standpoint of 
I got to see and meet so many CEOs and so many great ideas, and I've seen a lot of great ideas, and I've seen a lot of terrible ideas, and I've seen a lot of ideas that I unfortunately I passed on that became huge successes, and some deals that we invested in that ended up being failures. But it showed and it taught us what to look for, and, and as I said, it's really that entrepreneurial spirit. So I started my own investor relations company, and then in uh, the late 90s, I created TriPoint. We've been doing it for a long time. I'm 24. I'm 25 years now on Wall Street, and uh, I believe in 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 free flowing thought. I believe in creating opportunity. I don't. When I wake up, like I said, on most entrepreneurs, I I don't wake up for what somebody's going to tell me to do. I wake up for and decide what I want to accomplish that day. And I think that is what makes. Reg A and Jobs Act so great because now all these individual entrepreneurs finally have access to new ways of being able to create capital and create innovation and grow. And uh, I gave a speech last summer at the United Nations uh, talking about global entrepreneurism. And I think the, the, the one takeaway that I took from that is what's so amazing now is the way the internet and the viral community works. You have people speaking. There's no borders anymore. and There's no time zone difference. Everybody, it, it's one open free market. You have kids and, and, and there were participants in the audience from India that had these amazing ideas of being able to keep produce fresh uh, because when it would get to their homes, it, it was spoiled. And you have in this day and age where that entrepreneur would have never been able to get their product to market and never access the U.S. capital markets or U.S. customers now can do so. So I think the future is what we're seeing here with the Internet, and I think Wall Street's finally catching up that the way we used to do things isn't the way we're going to do things, that we need to see the community change, and, and I think Jobs Act is that first step in that direction. You know, I love that, Mark, because I think that what you said there, number one, your story and you're relating to it, and Jess and I, I mean, <laughs> we all have our own, you know, these, we come at it from trying to come at it from that angle too, and, you know, from the entrepreneurial experience angle. But I love, like, I like, I love that message because I think part of it is, you know, there's so much talk about bringing me, you know, about Main Street and Wall Street and how far apart they are. And it sounds like what you're saying is that the Jobs Act really is, you know, it's not perfect, but it is a step towards, a significant step towards bringing Main Street to Wall Street. And by virtue of that, bring Wall Street sort of, you know, in line with, with, with Main Street so that the whole point of capital markets is to, you know, help these innovators and entrepreneurs, you know, create value and make, you know, connect with the capital they need to do it. And it's just gotten so far apart. Yeah, I agree. You know, an another thing, Mark, uh, we'd like to ask all our different guests is um, Josh and I work on a charity called Child Rescue. We're trying to prevent child sex trafficking or help the kids that are in it. We're building an aftercare orphanage in Peru right now. We do police trainings here in the U.S. Um, so I'm interested, as you've seen, you know, especially in the Reg A+, Plus, as people have got video to make things seem more real and, and get investments, any advice you'd have for us as we try to get more people involved in, in this issue of helping protect kids? Um, you mean in terms of how to market it? Yeah, just general marketing advice. If you were our advisor, what would you tell us to do to get more people involved in in helping kids? Well, I think in itself, uh, I think people, uh, you know, as a father, I certainly 
have a strong opinion about uh, any of that type of behavior. So I fully support it. I think, you know, I'm unfortunately, I'm not a great marketing guy. I'm more of a uh, global visionary from the banking side. But what I would say just to me in terms of accessing Wall Street to do that, I think one of the new changes that we've seen um, in terms of, of, of a lot, of, and I get a lot of business this way and a lot of connections is through LinkedIn and marketing maybe or, or, or just messaging those types of uh, stories and messaging your uh, your passion through that investment community because I think a lot of people sometimes we all lose sight especially on Wall Street of uh, you know giving back I'm active in a lot of charities myself um, on things that are important to me and I utilize LinkedIn and I use Facebook and some of the other things to get that message out because I think by connecting with people who are peers in my industry and then they see that I have an interest in and in, uh, and a, uh, a commitment to some of these different types of um, activities and charities, then they can relate because they can relate to me on what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. And then by seeing that I have an interest in this area, it's something that they might not have thought about that now they could have an interest in. So That's maybe great. go that route. Yeah. Um, our third one that we like to ask people is if they have any book recommendations, what, what books do you think entrepreneurs or innovators should be reading these days? Anything come to mind right off the bat? A book for entrepreneurs. Um, honestly, I don't really believe in any of those books. You know, there's a lot of these self-help or these uh, make you feel real good books and, you know, seize the day books and entrepreneur books. I think an entrepreneur is really born with that drive. I don't think reading a book would really help them. I think actually utilizing the internet and creating a book by reading articles is a better way of going at it. And I think a lot of these books are written, you know, from a time long ago, I think going through the forums and looking at the various uh, searches of, of new capital raising and forward thinking and marketing gives you a much better, fuller picture than just reading a book that, you know, someone's going to tell you how you need to uh, have all this passion and desire. <laughs> we all know that. Yeah, what 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 forums or online resources do you think are are the higher quality ones, in your mind? Uh, I don't have any specific ones, but I I like I just Google it and I go through. Um, you know, I'm learning about different things. I, I I I go through some of the marketing. You know, I'm I have two boys that are 11 and 14 and know how to use the computer and all these different types of social media sites better than I could ever figure out. So I go and I try to learn about that. I look at um, some of the forums related to regulatory change. Um, there are a lot of great speaking activities that are out there. I don't know when this is going to be published, but tomorrow I'm participating in a webinar on bringing back small cap IPOs, uh, kind of talking about a little bit what we did with some other panel experts who were involved um, more on the marketing side or the non-broker uh, dealer side. We all have our opinions there. Uh, I think there are a lot of webinars. If you just search out, you'll be able to find there are a lot of free ones, um, and and so on and so on. Live info, I love it. Josh, yeah. any other questions from your mind here before we uh, before we thank Mark for giving us so much time this morning? No, no. I mean, I think one of the <laughs> I can react to. I think oh, one of the it sounds like Mark. One of the key things is, is know your business, right? I mean. You're, you and you read, it sounds like you're totally immersing yourself in, in 
your business and staying on top of those changes. That's where you spend your reading time. And I guess you're saying, if whatever your industry is, spend that time there first. Exactly. Know your business first. Well, great. Be a pro. Well, we're um, on Mark's page on Ideation Collective. You're going to see links to how to get to bank, which is B-A-N-Q um, dot C-O. And, uh, and Mark's LinkedIn, if you want to reach out to him. Uh, Mark, any, uh, any other websites or anything where you'd send people? Uh, the only other site you can check out is also tripointglobalequities.com. Um, there's no offerings up there, but you can get a little bit more uh, understanding of our business and uh, the parents' business and what we do. And then, as you said, banq.co. One thing I, I do want to say on Bank, too, we do offer uh, discount trading. We offer $0.99 cents and three ninety-five uh, uh, trading. Uh, can set up an account and trade while they're waiting for something to come. That's great. Awesome. Well, we really appreciate you making time for us and, again, going through some of the specifics. I know for a lot of entrepreneurs, they're so busy building their business that learning this terminology and sorting through this world uh, can be a little bit daunting. We appreciate you making that a little bit more clear today. Perfect. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And that was part two of our interview. If you missed part one, please go back an episode and download the episode before this one for the first half of the interview. As always, please check iCollective.co for show notes of things referenced during the interview and to learn more about our guest. And if you're interested, we'd love to have you learn more about the charity Child Rescue. Go to the menu page on iCollective and click on Child Rescue. Thanks so much. Now's the time to find your color, your paint, and everything to get started during red, white, and blue savings at the Home Depot. Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details.